Welcome to Oceanside Sanctuary. I think you all know, but my name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here at Oceanside Sanctuary. And this is the part where we get into a bit of teaching. And today, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different. We do this sort of thing on occasion from time to time. And it is, uh, I know, very, very awkward. So I'm going to sort of feign apologizing in advance um, because I'm exactly the kind of person who if I were seated where you are and I were asked to do what I'm about to ask you to do, I'd be like, oh, come on, do I have to do that? No, the answer is no, you don't have to do it. Uh, this is definitely the church of not having to do things, right? So if you don't want to do it, that's okay. I'm going to tell you how it's going to work. Uh, I'm going to ask you to reflect for a moment on a question that I have for you. And then I'm going to ask you to, if you're up for it, pair up or like get into like a group of even as many as three or four right around where you're sitting and then uh, share with each other the answer to this question. Now that's the awkward part, right? Like talking to other people about a question that is going to be a little bit vulnerable. And so if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to like talk to other people, if you're surrounded by strangers or you're just an introvert, which is a hundred percent okay, you can reflect on your own. That's really all right. So if you see somebody sitting by themselves with their head down, basically praying, please don't talk to me, please don't talk to me, right? Don't talk to them. That's okay. Uh, but if you're willing, engaging in a bit of conversation with each other around this question, I think can be good. All right. So what's the question? The question is a simple one, and that is, when have you experienced an act of love? This is what we've been singing about all morning. Thank you, Joey. When have you experienced an act of love? By that, I don't mean something very generic, right? Like I would often maybe answer that question by saying, well, my marriage is a loving relationship because it is. Uh, but of course, if you sort of zoom in on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, sometimes I might not be the most loving partner. I'm more interested in you reflecting on when have I experienced an act of love from another person? This could be a small thing, could be a big thing, could be a word or a phrase that you remember somebody speaking to you in a moment of real difficulty, and you realized this person loves me. And what they just said to me was an act of love. Or it might have been nonverbal. It might have been some way that somebody met your need or you or was just present with you in a time when being present was hard. And you knew in that moment, this person loves me. So I hope I'm beginning to make sense. I'm not asking you to share the time when you most felt loved, like that would be hard, right? But just any example of when you sort of caught your breath in a moment and thought, this person really does love me. So I'm going to ask you now just to take a quiet moment to reflect on maybe an example of that. And then I'm going to invite you to share with each other. So first, if it helps you to close your eyes, bow your head, fold your hands, that sort of thing, feel free. But I want you to just sort of relax, find a comfortable posture, lower your shoulders, take a deep breath. 
When do you remember experiencing an act of love? right about now is when it can sometimes get easy to get lost in memories, right? So I'm going to ask you to maybe zero in on a face. Who's the person who loved you in that moment? What was the situation? How is it that you were feeling empty or unloved or alone or scared or purposeless or ugly or guilty And then for me, it's helpful sometimes to remember that love is a gift. It's not something we own or control. It's a, something that we receive from somebody else. But what was the gift that they gave you? An action or word or phrase? Did they offer? Okay, I just would love nothing better than to talk in this moment about how remembering that act of love is a way of receiving it all over again, but that is not what today is about. Instead, I'm going to ask you to maybe sit again alone, if that's your preference, and reflect on what that meant to you or how that was meaningful to you. If you're willing, get together with people sitting around you, and I'm going to give you about three to four minutes to go around the circle of two or three or four and just briefly share with each other. Here is when I experienced love from somebody else. Okay, now.
All right. Some of you are worried that I'm going to ask you to share what you just talked about. Don't worry, it's not going to get that weird today. Maybe another time. <laughs> All the extroverts in the room are really disappointed. We've been talking in this particular teaching series about the question, how is it that we experience the risen Christ by faith? And that's incidentally why I've been using the word Christ. We've made a switch from pre-Easter where we often talk about Jesus. After Easter, after the resurrection, we aren't talking so much about Jesus, the historical person. We're talking about Christ around by faith who we believe has revealed what it really means to be connected to God. And that is really the question here. How is it that we encounter the risen Christ by faith? After Jesus' resurrection, there are a number of passages that describe Jesus' disciples, his followers, his students, encountering him after that bizarre and amazing event. And so my question has been, what can we learn about these encounters that help us to recognize the way that we encounter the risen Christ in our own lives? Today, we're going to read one of those encounters from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I think we have 18, 19, and 20 up on the screen for you. I'm actually going to go ahead and begin a little earlier than that. This is a very familiar passage. First, I'm going to tell you what I think is wrong with it. And then I'm going to tell you what I think is unspeakably good about it. But before we do, would you just pray with me for a moment? God, we ask that you would meet us in this space. We know that in so many ways you already have. But we ask that you would teach us in this time as we open up these words, as we read them aloud, as we turn them over in our minds and examine them, we ask that you would break into our hearts in a fresh way, that you would reveal what it means for us to encounter you in our lives each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage today is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and here's what it says. This is the end of the book of Matthew. Verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is perhaps, for many Christian traditions, the most important passage in the Bible. It's known as the Great Commission. Uh, my seminary degree is not a typical Masters of Divinity. It's a, not that this totally matters, but you know, I'm just going to brag a little bit. My, my seminary degree is in the study of mission theology. And that discipline, that sort of area of theological study is built entirely on this passage. Everything about mission studies flows from Matthew 18, verses 16 through 20. And I think we have royally screwed it up. 
What we've done with this passage is take it as Jesus' commission to his disciples to go out and to conquer the world in Jesus' name. This passage has been understood to be literally a command to go out into foreign countries, to foreign people, to take them, to immerse them in water, to declare them to be Christians, and then to subjugate them according to the rules of Christianity. And in that space, that understanding of the Great Commission, Christianity has historically committed atrocities. And that, among many other reasons, is why a lot of people won't be Christians today. Uh, and that's not hard, I think, to understand. So maybe it will surprise you to hear that I don't think that's how we should be understanding this passage. So what's really going on here? This is one of Jesus' appearances to his disciples after the resurrection. It's important, I think, to understand that at this point, the disciples are lost. They're aimless. They're utterly stuck in their lives. And this is surprising, I think, because they have experienced the resurrection of Jesus. But what they hoped would happen did not happen. The reason they began to follow Jesus in the first place is because they were hoping for an armed, violent insurrection that would liberate Israel from the shackles of the Roman Empire. They were hoping for vindication as a people. They were hoping for uh, an overthrow of their oppressors. And the very first time it became clear to them that that didn't happen was when Jesus was captured, arrested, tried, and crucified, and they were utterly shattered. That's easy to understand, I think. But then something amazing happened. Jesus was resurrected. And yet, what they hoped for still didn't happen. After the resurrection of Jesus, something I think really curious happens that we see in all these passages. Jesus shows up from time to time, almost like a long-lost friend. He pops in on them here and there, and they're always surprised. Well, where did you come from? What are you doing here? Now Is now the time when we're finally going to do what we expected you to do? And then he pops out. How incredibly frustrating and confusing must that have been? That their expected Messiah not only failed in their mission, was captured and crucified and killed and utterly subjugated by the Romans and the prevailing religious elites in Israel. But then after he is resurrected from the dead, I'm surely they were like, oh, here is when it finally will happen. But no, Jesus doesn't appear to really even be spending time with them regularly after the resurrection. Instead, he appears on the road to Emmaus to his disciples, walks with them. They don't recognize him. He disappears again. Again, he appears to other disciples here and there in the upper room. They're surprised by his presence. They experience him. They touch his body. They are bewildered by what this means. And then he disappears again. Jesus is not present with them in the way that he was before the resurrection. And as a result of this, I think they are confused. I think they're frustrated. I think that they are stuck. 
They don't know what to do. And so as we saw in the last passage we, we visited in this series, they go back to their old lives. They go back to fishing, trying to figure out how to put their lives back together again after this huge, confusing disappointment. And that's, of course, when Jesus appears to them and feeds them breakfast. And my argument to you is that Jesus is modeling for them exactly what their new life is supposed to be like. But I think what's happening here is that they still don't get it. They're still stuck. And so Jesus gathers them for one final teaching. And he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world, all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Here's what I think he says to them. True authority is with me. Not with what you thought true authority is. True authority is with me. Now go make students from among all people. This is what a disciple is, a student, a learner, somebody who is learning how to do something. Go make students of my way. Not just from among your own countrymen, not just from among the Jews, but from among all people. Immerse them into the reality of the triune God. Baptism literally just means immerse, to put into. And when Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he isn't saying take people and dunk them under the water and hold them there for a while if they were really bad. Right? <laughs> now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying baptism isn't good. It is. It's an incredibly rich symbolic act that marks our entrance into the kingdom of God because of a decision that we have made. But Jesus isn't saying, go out into the world and dunk them under the water and call them Christians. He's saying, immerse them into the reality that baptism symbolizes. Immerse them into the presence of the triune God. And then equip them to obey my teachings. And then perhaps for our purposes today, the most important thing, he says, this is how I'm with you. Remember, they haven't really been with him in the same way that they were before his death and resurrection. He's been bodily absent from him, it seems, more often than he's been present. His fundamental relationship with them has changed. This is why they're confused. It's why they're stuck. He says, no, no, you're missing it. Do this. Believe me and my teachings. Teach others how to follow my teachings. And in so doing, immerse them in the presence of God. And when you do that, I am with you. Well, this, I think, begs the question, what was it that Jesus taught? Because clearly this whole passage hangs on teaching other people to obey his commandments. Well, what are his commandments? Really frustrating, troublesome things like loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you, 
putting your lives on the line for the poor and the marginalized. These are the things that Jesus taught. If you need a shorthand version, look no farther than Matthew chapter 22, 34 to 39, where somebody asks Jesus, what must I do to fulfill all the commandments of God? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is Jesus's summary of the great Jewish prayer, the Shema. This is where in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, God gives the essence of God's life to God's people. And that essence is to love God and to love each other. This is what Jesus commanded. To love God, all that is good and right and true, and out of your love for all that is good and right and true, to be able to love each other. Later in that passage in Deuteronomy, it says, take this commandment and, and uh, put it on your foreheads, put it on your doorposts. This is why in Jewish households, they often have little doorpost containers that literally have a little scroll of Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5, and they put it in there and they nail it to their doorpost. Sometimes they're very ornate reminders of God's essential command to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And when they walk out the door, they kiss it as a reminder that this is what they live for. Jesus isn't really saying anything different than that. But he is saying that when we love, when we really love, that we are experiencing genuine authority. He says that when we love, we are immersed in the presence of God. And when we love, we encounter the risen Christ. I would say whether we know it or not. This is a really interesting feature of one of Jesus' teachings that, you know, Matthew chapter 25, everybody comes before God on judgment day. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you because when I was sick, you didn't feed me. When I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And they say, what are you talking about? When did we encounter you in this way? And he says, every time you did this to somebody who was at their worst, their least, their most desperate place, you were doing it to me. One of the beauties of Matthew 25 is that the people who thought they were with Christ were surprised to discover that they weren't because they didn't love people in need. And then my favorite part is people who didn't know that they were with Christ discovered that they were because they loved those who were in need. This, by the way, is the opposite of conquering. This is the opposite of colonizing. This is the opposite of subjugating. So it is an incredible irony that this passage, which essentially tells us and tells the disciples that our job 
is to go out into all the world and to love God and love each other and to teach others to love God and love each other, that that passage has been used as an excuse to conquer and colonize and subjugate. The disciples miss this. I think, I think they still don't get it. And I think that the reason they are stuck, at least maybe this is what speaks to me about this, is that the reason they're stuck is because love isn't what they really want. I think the disciples are still stuck in grieving their lost dream for vindication and vengeance and power. And love is the opposite of that. And FYI, spoiler alert, love is hard. Power is way more appealing. And so they have a vested interest in not getting what Jesus is saying. I think I do that. Sometimes I get stuck because what I wanted is not what I got. And because what I wanted isn't what I got, I am blind to the reality that what I need is what I already have. The disciples already have everything that they need. Jesus spent three years with them, teaching them how to love God and to love each other. He spent three years with them modeling love for people who were in need and marginalized and oppressed. He spent three years sending them out, practicing what it means to love those who are marginalized and oppressed, but they are still stuck on not getting power. And so they don't see that they already have everything they need. He's trying to remind them. I think this, by the way, is where repentance comes in. And I know that like in churches like ours that love to talk about love, we often don't talk about repentance. But when we talk about repentance, biblically, faithfully, we aren't talking about feeling bad about drinking or smoking or, you know, chewing tobacco or watching R-rated movies. Biblical repentance is realizing that you're going in the wrong direction. And the wrong direction is following the power that intoxicates us because it relieves us of the obligation to love. For the disciples, I think they need to repent of their love of power. And until they do, they won't understand the power of love. And I think that's our call to repentance too. I think that We encounter Jesus, the risen Christ, every time we experience an act of love, whether we know it or not. But we want to know it. And we want to know how to do it. 
And for that, we follow Christ. We follow his teachings. We seek to understand him. We follow the model that he set before us because we don't want to be like a broken clock that's, you know, right twice a day by accident. We want to be people who know intentionally how to love each other and to do it well. And I think that's what Christ is calling us to. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to come together and to worship and to learn from these stories that are recorded in the Gospels, to be inspired by the words of Jesus, to be challenged and stretched by how Scripture points us to a bigger vision of love. It's our prayer today, God, that as we hear these words, as we share our stories, as we sing these songs and pray these prayers, that you would enlarge our hearts, that we would become people who are truly able to love because we have a heart for it, a vision for it. Teach us how to do that in Jesus' name. everybody hope you had a great week couple quick things for you to connect with here at the oceanside sanctuary as you get ready to go out uh, today our justice works team is having a meeting um, it's going to happen at 2 p.m today and that's going to be via the zoom it sounds like our justice works team um, is meeting to discuss our current campaigns for police reform and housing issues you can rsvp for the zoom link and the website calendar and I think that's today, correct? At 2 p.m.? I don't see the date on there. Thank you. So that's going to happen today on the Zoom. And if you have any quick questions or you want to be involved in that right after church, we can set you up with the right people on that. Um, also coming up on Thursday, June 2nd, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Uh, it's the kickoff of Pride Month with Oceanside Sanctuary. Uh, the band is going, going to be doing some really great things. So I'm going to give it to Joey really quick, and then I'll come back with a couple last announcements. Uh, Joey and Laura. Oh, I don't like being on this end of things. <laughs> well, hello, everyone. Um, again, my name is Joey, and I'm here with Laura. We are on the queer committee. Um, we have a couple other queer committee members here. I know my Aunt Mary is here. Uh, anyone else that I'm missing? No? Okay, well, um, as a part of the queer committee, we are working to celebrate Pride Month um, not just here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, but out in the community as a part of our mission. So there are a couple of things we wanted to share with you. I'm gonna talk about the programming and then Laura's gonna tell you a little bit about how you can get involved. First of all, Light Up With Pride is an opportunity for us to come together um, with a number of other faith communities in North County to replicate something that has been happening in San Diego for many years called Light Up the Cathedral. This interfaith worship service is happening at San Diego Union Methodist Church in Encinitas. And at 6.30 p.m., we will come together to have a worship service, a renaming ceremony for a transgendered person, and an opportunity to start off Pride Month in celebration with other faith communities that are open and affirming. The Sanctuary Band will be there in full force 
we will be doing a number of songs actually from my last album, A Place at the Table. And so I would love to have you there as members of the Oceanside Sanctuary representing what we're doing. Again, June 2nd, um, 6.30 p.m. is when you can start getting there. We have some fun things happening outside, but 7 is when worship starts. Then after that, we will be, uh, as a church, participating in Pride by the Beach. Now, Pride by the Beach is happening on the 11th of June. It is literally happening three blocks from the church. It is right there. And we will have a booth at 2 p.m. The band will be performing and sharing open and affirming spiritual social justice uh, music. We would love to have you participating. Come visit us at the booth. Come see us uh, bring the music that we do here to the community. And last but not least, the next day we're having Pride Sunday, June the 12th right here at church. We will have an open house where all of our different communities, our anti-racism team, our uh, justice works teams will be represented so that we can bring in all people who may have discovered us at Pride by the Beach to show what we're doing here. So please come be a part of that service, be a part of the day before Pride by the Beach and come and worship with us on the second. But we have some ways you can get involved today. That's right, you can participate today We've got an art station set up on a table outside. There's some markers or some poster boards of various sizes. And we are making a word art cloud display for our booth at Pride by the Beach. Our theme is We Say Gay. So there's going to be a lot of folks at Pride by the Beach who have heard really hurtful messages from churches. They've maybe heard, you are condemned, you are can't be here, whatever these hurtful messages may have been. So what do you want your message to be? You are loved. You are enough. You are welcome. Whatever you want yours to say, there's art supplies outside. You can work on it today. We're also going to have this next week, so you can work on it next week too. You can you know, work on something at home in between. You want to bring it in, do it that way. If you're a kid and you don't want to write words, you can draw a picture. Adults can also draw pictures. It's, it's however you want to make your art. We're going to put it all together into an art cloud word display. So I hope everyone will participate in that. Thank you. And we'll have more updates about what will happen at Pride as we get closer. Thank you, Joey. Thank you, Laura. Uh, let me back up really quick before I get the last couple announcements. If you are new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, welcome. I know my mom and dad are visiting from Jacksonville, Florida. So good to have them with us today. Um, if you're watching online, you can connect with the Oceanside Sanctuary at theoceansidesanctuary.org. Coming up on June 5th, this is a special lunch after, uh, after church on Sunday, June the 5th from 1215 to 1.30. If you are interested in being part of the new community groups here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Community groups are a new ministry where people from the same neighborhood or city come together regularly for dinner. Um, dialogue about faith, and shared mission for impacting their communities. If you are interested in joining, hosting, or helping to organize community groups in your area, come to the interest meeting. Once again, that's Sunday, June 5th, right after church, and there's going to be a lunch, most importantly, involved in that. Finally, um, all these announcements and things that are happening here and through the Oceanside Sanctuary are on the website at oceansidesanctuary.org. As always, a reminder to support what is happening here. Oceanside Sanctuary is a 501c3 and survives on gifts uh, from us.
Finally, two, th two quick things to take with you today. Number one, Eric can sing, apparently. It's like a Disney prince up there on the stage. I didn't even listen to a word Jason said today because I'm picturing these Disney-themed DJ events I have coming up and you and I doing this, like, tag team thing. Secondly, if you are just this week feeling stuck, as Jason mentioned, maybe we look up those historical stories of this man called Jesus, or we Google, how did Jesus love others? And in the midst of feeling stuck in our lives just this week, we take one of those little things that Jesus did in those stories or that one person that he loved and served, and we get the attention off of ourselves and the focus off of ourselves, and we step into that. Just as we, we just step into that. Have a great week. May the peace of God be with you.